so we'll we'll do a nerd check. Um, so who knows who remembers or who knows what the original first Star Wars movie was called? What was the title? Star Wars. N yes, but there's when when the big a new hope. A new hope. Nope, New Hope. Empire Strikes Back was the second one. So, A New Hope. So, when it opens up, the movie opens up, right? You have the scary part of, you know, the ship getting attacked, and all of a sudden you see Darth Vader come in. And you kind of wonder as a kid, you know, so I was two or three when it came out. I was like two, yeah, I was two. You kind of wonder, of course, I saw it a little bit later, but you kind of wonder, what is the New Hope about? Like, what, what are they hoping for? And obviously the Empire is taking over the universe, and there's so the rebel army is is fighting against the Empire, right? So that's what the New Hope is, and of course it's, the New Hope is Luke and Leia and all the other, the whole cast of, of, of people. But that's really what this is, is, is we love stories that have this, what seems to be almost hopeless circumstances, but something happens, and you know, the good guys win, right? And so that's what Paul is talking about because, you know, life is not movies and books and things like that. I mean, they write books about life, but our lives are not movies. And sometimes we wish, like, oh, why did that happen? And my stepdad used to always say, when you see something kind of crazy in a movie, like, how is that even possible? He's like, it's in the script. Right? Because they have to make something in the movie or the book happen to make something else happen to get us down the thing. But we know in our own lives that things do happen and it's kind of like, well, that seems super odd that that happened. Or why did I have to go through that to get here? Why can't I just skip the mud pile and go straight? Like if you're playing Candyland, why did I have to go backwards into the mud pit or whatever in the ooey gooey for gumdrop forest? Why can't I just go straight to the house and get all the candy? Right? But, but we know, and Paul is going to encourage us here in a minute, that, that this stuff is the stuff that happens to us, the suffering, is for a reason. And this, the, the suffering grows us. It, it, it makes us stronger. It's kind of like we were talking about, you know, if you have broken bones and things like that, this stuff comes back, it, gets, it heals stronger than what it was before. And so this is really what it is, where we can, we can kind of lament the problems that we have, or lament the, these, the sufferings, and if we're in the world, it's easy to get swept up in how the world views these things, like, oh, they're just circumstances, you're just unlucky, you know, sucks to be you, kind of thing. Or you can look at it and go, okay, God, what are you teaching me through the situation? Right? Because when we become Christians, our entire mindset should shift from what the world thinks to how God thinks a little bit. Now, we're not, we don't have the mind of God. We can't know everything and all that. So I want to make sure we're not, that's not what I'm saying. But we start putting ourselves into looking things from God's perspective. Right? And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's encouraging... Um, the Roman church, because depending on when this was written, they may have started getting, the Jewish people may have started being expelled and kicked out, or they had just come back, maybe, you know, so they had all these things going on, and, and you just have regular life going on as well. Right? We don't need special circumstances to have a, a terrible day, it just, stuff just happens. Right? And so the, how we deal with those from day to day, and how we, how they, what they turn into is something important. So, we're read Romans chapter five verses one through five, and, and for me this is this is my favorite. If you have a life verse or whatever, this is my life passage in a sense because this is what keeps me going through all the stuff that goes on. Like, why are we doing these things, right? And so here's what Paul says, and again he's continuing on this discussion from the previous four chapters, and he's bringing this to this this climax here in these verses. 
So he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. End of sermon. Really, right? You can just take that and just read that every single day and be like, okay, this is what it is. This is what's going on. This is why I should have a good day. I should have hope because whatever God throws at me is from God. He's going to get me through this and there's for a, it's for a purpose. Right, so here's the main idea of this is, is we need to place all of our faith, all of your faith and all of your hope in God. Right? We need to learn to trust people. I want to make sure we're good on that. We need to trust people, but they're people. So they're going to disappoint you. I am going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint my kids. You, you, we've all disappointed people. That's just what we do because we're fallible. We make mistakes. It's just one thing we do. But we trust, put our faith and trust in God because He is the infallible person. He is trustworthy. He is faithful to the end. And so when we do that, no matter what happens in our lives, we trust God that this will turn out okay in the long run. All right, so the first thing we do, if you look on your outline, is that this faith is producing hope. So that's what this whole first five verses are about. So again, Paul is summing up this, this, the first four chapters into this thing of why are we going through all this? Why have I brought you through these things? He says, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing is that our justification brings us peace. This is the first reward that we have in our justification. So we are no longer at war with God. Whether we realize it or not, before we got saved, we were at war. There may have been things that weren't so easy. Maybe God kept trying to get you down to the point of salvation. He was trying to get you to this point. You're like, why are things so tough? Why are these things this way? Because you were fighting with God. God wanted to have you. He wants you. You're his property. You're his person. So he wants you. And so everything you're doing is against God. So it's going to cause friction. Right? Just like when you rub your hands together, it gets hot. We have that heat in our lives. And it becomes uncomfortable. But what we will do is we will start causing problems with the world now. Because now we are at war with the world and not with God, which is a much better setup. I would much rather be at war with, with the world than with God because God wins at the end. Right? We know how the book ends. Because that's going to cause problems, though, because, again, that war exists on our own selves, inside ourselves, and Paul starts looking at that in chapter 6. Because we, we, are, we live here, we're a part of the world, we came out of the world, we like the, the, some of the things the world has, so it's kind of difficult sometimes. So we have to be careful. Again, this is why we need to put our hope and trust in God, so the things we're getting rid of, pushing away, essentially, we're, get, we're getting something greater in return. That maybe it's later, right, that the delayed gratification part, somewhat, but it's better than what we're getting. Because that second part, the second gift that Paul talks about as part of our justification through God is that we have access to God through Jesus. So now we don't have to come to a temple. We don't have to go anywhere. We have direct access to God. We are now straight line to Him. 
The Redeemer redeems His people and He acts as a shepherd bringing us into God's flock. Right? He's, he gathered His people. He bought His people. He's bringing them to us. And they're bringing, He's bringing us into God's home and into His presence. Right? Heaven is God's home. That's the heavenly realm. That's God's realm. That's where He lives. So we get to go there. Later when the new heaven and new earth is set up, we have a place there. And we are no longer on the outside looking in. And all of this, Paul leads us to this third benefit of our justification, which is we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so this goes back to Romans 3.23 when Paul says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? We all have fallen short of the glory of God. So he's bringing us back in two to, to another chapter because now we have our hope here. We have now been worthy. We have been made worthy of the glory of God. So through the rich provisions offered by God, we can move toward the goal He had in mind in creation. Right? We now get to fulfill what Adam and Eve should have been. What the world should have been, could have been. Paul, or God knows what was going to happen, so it's not a surprise. Because the fall of humankind didn't put an end to God's plans once and for all. Right? We, he, the book doesn't end in chapter 3. Like, the end. You guys are all hosed. That's it. I don't care anymore. That's not how God works. He said, I have a plan. The plan's already been there. Here's how we're going to make it out. Here's how we're going to carry the plan out. Right? This plan, what, what, what happened with the fall was that it necessitated an eternally significant detour. This is what one commentator says. Through the cross and the empty tomb. Right? So all of these events, all of mankind's suffering leads to the cross. Leads to that point in 31 or 33 AD when Jesus is on the cross on Good Friday. That's where everything led to. To the Sunday of the empty tomb with the resurrection where Christ defeats death. It leads us all the way to the end of what we have in the book of Revelation where there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's where everything else is going. And so God's plan, it's God's plan that we should reflect His glory is now being realized in the lives of obedient believers. Right? When we have this new hope, the new hope is because our lives have been transformed. We have been transformed. We are no longer the old person. We're the new person. That should be enough cause just for hope right there. Like, I'm not that person anymore. And for some people, it's hard to fathom that because we either get stuck in that or they want to keep you stuck in that. They want to keep you stuck as the old man or old woman. And that's not who I am anymore because right? I'm new in Christ. And so what good news is that? That we have this faith, and this faith gives us hope, and we have this hope where there's nothing but darkness, but all of a sudden, the coming of the Lord, we see the light. And we see the light of Jesus, and there He was. He preaches that He is the light. And everyone's probably up on, on board now, right? It's like, this sounds great. I love this part of the Christianity. This is awesome. Everything's going to be awesome. Well, no, it's not, Right? Because Paul turns the logic on his head, he says in the next verse, he says, not only that, but we can rejoice in our afflictions. What? What? Wait, I thought this would make everything better, and I'm fixed, I'm fine, everybody's happy, there's no problems anymore. I get to be rejoice in my afflictions? It doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense that we can rejoice when things are going bad. But when we read Paul's letters, he's in prison most of the time, a good bit of the time. He's being beaten. He's, he has to be snuck out of a town in a basket. All those other things. Is like, and he's super happy. He's singing. They're singing hymns in the jail in the middle of the night. It's like, dude, what are you doing? 
right? People are probably like, this guy's crazy. What you, this guy rose from the dead. He's preaching this guy. You know, he, you know, he's singing these songs about him. Like, what is going on with this guy? Why, where is he getting this from? But Paul is a living epitome of rejoicing as afflictions. Because we just want the comfy mansion and the nice big cloud to fly back and forth on with our new wings, right? If that's what we kind of think. You know, we don't turn into angels, but that's kind of what we think sometimes, right? Like, oh, well, I just get to fly around in heaven and it's all good. But no, that's not going to happen. There's going to be suffering until the Lord comes the final time. We know that because Jesus fixed the situation between us and God, but He didn't fix the world yet, per se. There's still sin. There's still death. There's still suffering. But what does change... Like I said a little bit earlier, is how we look at suffering, how we look at afflictions, how we look at persecutions, trials, and tests. Like if we think about school, our school time, if, if you knew what day test day was, everybody was probably like, oh, it's test day. Oh, I hate tests. I don't want to take tests. It takes all day. Right, whatever it is, right? We don't like to do it because I don't want to have to sit there and be, be questioned about what I know or don't know. Because I don't want to get the bad grade. Right, But now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I know this stuff. I can take this test, no problem. But whatever happens, this happens, right? Because no longer these tests or these trials or these afflictions, they're not punishment anymore for doing something wrong. It's a training ground or a practice field for you. Right? So those of us who are veterans, we spent a lot of time training. Sometimes it was a, a lot of hurry up and waiting. Kind of like how do you get on a plane? How do you sit and pretend like you're getting on a plane? How do you load everything up like you're going to get on a plane, but you're not? It becomes repetitive and becomes boring sometimes, but it's necessary because when you have to be ready to go in two days' notice or less, you have to know how to do it. Right? The boxes have to be packed. Everything has to go on a tray. It has to be all cinched down. It has to be taken to the flight line, if you're in the Air Force, to the plane so they can load it correctly and get you where you're going. It has to be because nobody has time to learn it necessarily when you have to leave in two days. Right, so when I enlisted in 1994, it was between Desert Storm 1 and, 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 and the end of all the, all the other stuff for the operations that were going on over there. So it was sort of that weird lull. We were still engaged in operations as, as an Air Force in the military. But the main fight was over, obviously, for, for Desert Storm. But again, we're always training for the next thing. Always training, making sure you know how to do first aid, make sure you know how to do everything else. And so that was 1994, September 11th hit in 2001. And not everybody was expecting it, necessarily. Right? Obviously the way it happened, the way everything went down, they were not expecting that. But the military was ready, and my unit was ready to go, and we were gone a week later. Right? We had to wait for other people to leave, but we were gone a week later. And we were trying to leave several days before that, actually. So it was like, pack everything up, get it going. Because, but we had trained for that. We had trained. That was our job. We practiced over and over for years so we would have the endurance and the muscle memory to do our job. Right? So you get the phone call because we would do it. I don't know if you guys remember or not. Right? You get the phone call at 4 or 5 in the morning. Okay, recall. So they recall everybody to, to your base, to your squadron, and say, you're here to do things. So I got called at like midnight for September 11th after a few days later to, to pack and be ready to go. Like, bring your stuff with you, we're leaving. Right? Kiss the kids goodbye and you're out. That's what you do it for because when you get that phone call, you have to be able to react and just do it without thinking. And you get stronger as these tests become easier, right? You know what to do. Okay, here's the phone call, no problem. 
and your character comes out. Now you're becoming a soldier, an airman, a sailor, or a marine. And when it comes down to it, you want to be so well trained that certain things are automatic. You know where your stuff is, you know where you get the phone call, your bags are in the car, you're, go, you're gone. And you can use that energy to take what you already know and apply it to the other situations that, that are, when, when, when it is different than what you may be trained for. But the basics are still the same. And so we take this to Christianity. Each of us all goes a certain sort of basic training. That's why we come here. That's why coming to church is important. This is our training. This is our, kind of our training that we do every time. We hear these things over and over again, not to be repetitive, but because we want to make sure we're not all together all the time so when Satan comes knocking, you know how to deal with it. Right? That's the important part. That's why it's important to come together as a, as a body of believers. Because then we can say, man, this really happened. And like, we can support you. Right? That's why it's important we do these things. Because God is training us. He's putting us through these exercises so we know what to expect and we know the basics so that we can apply them to the situations in our lives, but also teach the basics to other people. Right? As new people come in, we can teach them and pass on the knowledge we have. Because you move up in ranks, essentially. If we all had promotion system in here, we could all have different ranks and whatnot. Be a horrible idea, I think, in the church, obviously, but that's kind of what we're doing. But Paul argued that suffering produces steadfastness, and steadfastness results in strength of character. Right? So the Greek term for the word character, is what one commentator says, denotes that which has been proven by trial. Your character is something that because you've gone through things, you come out the other side a certain way. Right? So that's how we kind of engage in working with people. We know we can trust them because they've been through stuff and they know how to do things. Right? There's one of the few joys in life. Oh, I have a lot of joys in life, but, but one of the greater things is, is working with people who know how to work. Right? You just get stuff done. Not a lot of explanation. Not a lot of things going on because their character has gotten to the point where they just know what to do. You know, they mean, here's, here's this or that, but boom, boom, every just falls into place. It's easy. And that's what God wants us to do. When things are going on, these trials are going on, we have it because we have this endurance that, because it brings proof that we have stood the test. We don't get a grade at the end of every test, but we, we develop this character that is our grade. It also shows when we, have, we need help with our character as well sometimes. And when we pass these tests, how do you feel when you pass a test? Good. How come you feel good? You passed it? Okay. But what does it prove? It proves you know stuff. You, oh, I didn't remember it. Right? Maybe sometimes it's good. You just, you just passed it. That's fine too, right? Passing grades of 70, I got a 70. Fine. But a lot of times we know because, woo, I can demonstrate what I know. Right? I have hope that now my confidence comes up because this isn't like I hope I pass the next one. It's like, cool, I have the ability to do this. I have confidence in God's ability because He got me through these difficult times, which gives me more hope that I learned something from what God is teaching me. God is doing things. He's not being mean to me. And so this isn't just some superficial optimism, but it's confident assurance of, what, of that which will surely come to pass. We know we can trust God because He's faithful and He's fulfilled His word so far, so we know the rest of it will also be fulfilled. And as we build our character in Christ, this produces more hope. And the more we learn about Christ, how we are made new in Him, our hope keeps growing. There's a purpose to all this. 
And our hope keeps growing because we are, and we are not disappointed because the object of our hope cannot disappoint us. Right? The object of our hope cannot disappoint us. It is impossible for him to lie to us, for him to disappoint us, and be like, oh, I wanted to give you a pony, but I didn't because you didn't do this. Right? It doesn't work that way. He said, look, all of this stuff you're going through is for a reason, and it's for good. And Paul demonstrates this. He says, this has been demonstrated because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He loves us because He pours us out. And so our hope is rewarded with a fresh awareness of the incomprehensible love of God. God's Holy Spirit who enters our life in response to faith is at work helping us grasp the reality of what it means to be encircled by the love of God. We are encircled by God's love. We have this and we understand it we, at least a little bit. And we hopefully we remember it. That's the more important part. We have to remember that we're loved by God. And so God provides us the faith and He provides us this reconciliation with Him. So the second point, so verses 6 or 11, is that faith provides us with reconciliation. So Paul brings the gospel front and center in this next section because reconciliation is Jesus' mission. Right? He is sent to be the mediator between man and God, right? So it's almost Christmas time. So I'm bringing out Heart to Hear Angels Sing again because it's the best theologically sound song probably ever almost, I think. But here, here's what the, the first verse is, right? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, that first part, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Right, that line in the middle, right? God and sinners reconciled. We are now completely made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why we get excited about Christmas, because that is what Jesus was doing. That's what he came to do. The advent of the coming of the king is what we get excited about. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That is why it's a joyful time. As Christians, we should be joyful all the time because we are not living under this burden of wrath. God doesn't wait until we perform well enough to merit his love, right? He doesn't say, well, when you're good enough, I'll give you the pony. He says, here's the pony, now go do stuff. Because we can never be good enough. We can never be good enough to earn it. But he acted in love on our behalf. Christ died for us while we were still alienated from him and cared nothing for his attention or affection. Right? Again, remember, we're at war with God. We didn't care a lot of times. I don't prove to me God exists. You can't? Well, I don't want to know it then. Or you can go online and listen to all kinds of people who twist things of what they think they've heard and everything else about what they think about God because they're fighting against Him. And unfortunately, some of them will never really get it. None of them will ever understand it. Other people, though, when you hear these stories about this person was a staunch atheist and then he becomes an on-fire evangelist because the Holy Spirit came into him and got a hold of him and he reconciled him to him. Paul says we are saved and we're reconciled by Jesus' death, but more importantly, we are saved by His life. And so this is a little bit of an odd statement. But what it seems to mean is that Paul is referencing Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus didn't die and just get buried and forgotten about, or here's a, here's a tomb or whatever. He was risen again, right? That's why we get excited about Easter. Because he didn't just die and get put in the ground. He rose again and everybody saw him. People saw him. People died for this idea that this man died and rose again on the third day. 
If they were lying about it, they would have probably given it up at some point and said, we made up the whole story over a campfire last night and it's just whatever. We just wanted to get rich and sell books. But they didn't make any money from this. They didn't do anything. All they did, what they did, they paid for their lives or with their lives for this. So why would they be willing to do that if this was all made up? They lived with Jesus for three years, the disciples, the apostles. Jesus returned from the grave. He conquered death. So not only did Jesus do that, he reconciled us to, to God, but he provided each of us with a new life when we were made righteous in our new lives that he purchased. And so the last part, the verses 12 through 21, Paul flows through this. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through, through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Right? And so he's, he's bringing up Adam here. And so Paul is bringing up Adam, and he's going to compare him to Jesus. So jumping down to verse 17, though, Paul says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance, provision of grace, and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If one man caused the world to be broken, then it stands to reason that one man can repair it. Right? That's how we... Well, how, you know, people think Adam and Eve is just kind of a made-up story. But here Paul is considering this very real, that this is what happened with Adam and Eve, and Adam is to blame. He's, he's a responsible party. He broke it by sinning, by allowing the fruit to be eaten and everything else. He caused it. So one man can finish this. And he does. Jesus comes back. And so in his discussion in verse 21, he says, So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first Adam brought death. The last Adam brings us life. So one commentator says this, Adam typifies, right? he, he, he kind of represents the sinful condition of all humans. And that's really backed up in the first, starting from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to verse 320. Right? Paul is making his case for this, and now he's wrapping this up. He says, Jesus stands for the justification received by faith. Redemption is the story of two men. The first man disobeyed God and led the entire human race in the wrong direction. The second man obeyed God and provided justification for all who will turn to him in faith. No matter how devastating the sin of the first, the redemptive work of the second reverses the consequences of that sin and restores people to the favor of God. We are restored. We are reconciled. We are brought back. We are brought home with Jesus, right? Jesus brings all of this home to what he did on the cross. That's why we're here today. We're here because we celebrate Jesus and what he did for our lives. And so with Jesus, you have a new life while you're on earth. You have a new life. You have it here. You have a new life when you pass on and a new life when the heaven, new heaven and new earth arrive. And so we have certain things that are happening now. We have certain things that are guaranteed later. And so Adam brought sin, death, and suffering into this world. And so it's something we have to deal with until God sets up the new kingdom. That's why we have to suffer. So we have to be ready for it. And that brings us back to the beginning. right? We have hope in the suffering that was caused by Adam, but we know it's fixed. We know what we do, what we're doing is it's, it's fixed because we have a new life on earth. We see things from God's perspective. Again, we'll bring, bring that up again. If God is benevolent and loving and kind and gracious, but he's also firm and he requires the covenant to be upheld. 
then everything that happens has a point. Everything that we go through has some kind of lesson to it. Right? There is no coincidence. There's no wasted time or effort. Things that happen, whether it's disease, death, a marriage, a birth, divorce, an argument, or a hug, it's all part of God's plan to bring you closer to God. And I think it's important for us to understand that as we go through our lives. Again, we can look at this and say, what am I supposed to get out of this? What is this test preparing me for? Or what is this test teaching me? And when we do that, we, start, we tend to be less like Chicken Little, thinking the sky is falling every single thing that happens, and say, okay, God's plan is going forward. So when it starts to get crazy, well, maybe this is, I mean, we are already living in the end time. I want to make sure, again, from, from the ascension to now until whatever, that is the end times, right? So, but is it the biblical, you know, what we kind of think of the very last day? Maybe, maybe not. Right? So I want to make sure there's two different pieces there. So we're, but we have to be prepared because we know what's coming. We know something like that is going to happen and maybe worse than what we even can read in here and, and, and imagine. And that's just the reality of it. But we don't need to freak out about it because we see that God is in control of everything. And that should put us on an even keel. That should put us, keep us from getting blown around the wind just because it blows this way or that. Right, we can be calm and say, okay, God's got it. Because when you're in a situation that is a test or it's uncomfortable and you're experiencing some kind of suffering, don't complain or think, woe is me. Think, and more importantly, ask, God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do with this? Right? Maybe it's because you messed up and so he's teaching you a lesson. Or maybe you sinned and so he does have to correct you. Right? That's sometimes what's happening with some suffering that we consider because we did sin. But it's not a cheap or vindictive payback like, ha ha, I'll get you back for messing me up. Right? It's not about that at all. He's not, that's not in his character. It is a lesson to bring about your Christ-like character. It is to make you more Christ-like every single thing that happens. This was happening before you realized you were saved or converted, right? We can all probably look backwards and go, oh, all these things lined up to get me to this day that I did this. And it all makes sense, right? We have, just like when we read the Bible, we can look back and go, man, these people are crazy. These people are fools. Didn't they get it? Don't they understand? And people are probably like, don't you understand either? Or don't you get it either, right? It's a pot calling the kettle black a little bit. But we have the ability of hindsight, and so if we have the hindsight to be proven out, we can look forward to the future that similar things are going to happen. And we must be getting somewhere else. God wants us to get there. And where do those roads go? All those roads and routes bring you to God. The roads lead you to the cross. Ephesians says, Every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess, because every road does lead to, lead to God. That's true, because, but a lot of people, the people around them make the wrong decision about it and they can't change that when it's too late. Because we will all stand in front of God at that last day. But when we get to the cross, we see that our Lord, it was Him who died and rose again for you, giving you the ability to have the faith, giving you the faith that you need to have a new life. So as we go out this week, think about that. Look at challenges differently, right? Because again, this is the holiday season. It's going to be more stressful, more family, more friends, maybe lack of them, changes, whatever it is. You're going to be put in situations that are going to test your faith, test your patience, test 
your Christianity, right? Test your Jesusness. And so it depends on how you have been trained on how you react. And so think about the times you've gone through the training already and what you've learned from that and take it forward. Right, so as the band comes up, right, think about that this week. Think about how we do this and have hope in God. Put your faith in God and everything will be turned out fine.